Looks like a lot of people have questions about getting started in real estate investing. If you have questions, this might be the episode for you, and we might get to your question in this episode. Stick around for Real Estate Revenue. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Real Estate Revenue. I'm your host, Paul Airy, and in this episode, we're going to answer some questions. Everybody has questions about getting started. If you're a beginner in real estate investing, you're naturally going to have questions about it. So let me start off by uh, giving you a good place to get some questions answered right off the bat here. If you'll go to paulary.com slash six ways, it's P-A-U-L-A-R-Y.com slash six ways, the number six in ways, you can download a free document. It is called the six ways you can make money on every real estate investment. It's a nice little tool, a valuable tool. It gives you some information on how all the different ways that you can make money in a real estate investment, and it is free. So now, let's get started with these questions. So I uh, have been looking at questions. I've been getting questions from people. I've been looking at other people's quest- questions, looking at uh, uh, some YouTube channels of other people that do real estate investing stuff, and uh, uh, looked at some of the questions that the people have in the comments there. And I have come up with a list. It's a pretty long list and I'm not going to get to all of them today, but I've uh, picked out three or four here that I'm going to, I'm going to talk about and I'm going to save the rest of these for later episodes. We will get to all of these. So question number one is real estate investing a business and do I need a business entity? And that is a, Great question. It's a very important question. Yes, it is a business. Every property you buy is a business. And it behaves just like any other business. You have, uh, you provide a product. And your product is space. And people will pay you a lot of money for that space. You have expenses. And you have income. So everything about it, everything about owning a property is a business. Think about most businesses and how they duplicate and increase their income by duplicating. And that's just how real estate works too. You don't just stick with one property. You duplicate. You buy more properties. You have multi-tenant properties. So you have multiple tenants. The whole key behind building wealth and becoming wealthy with real estate is you don't do it with just one property. You branch out, you um, add more properties. And uh, it's like if you're a, a stock investor, you don't buy just one stock. Well, some people do, I guess. But um, you, you, you need multiple properties. And yes, you do need a business entity. And you need 
that for protection, to protect you, to insulate you personally from your tenants and from the public. There are liabilities involved, and of course, you're going to have liability insurance on your properties. Your tenants are going to have it. You're going to have it. But you still want that that protection, uh, as my attorney likes to call it, that veil of protection for your company, for you to protect you from uh, personal liability. Now, the type of entity you use should be something discussed with an attorney and a CPA. Uh, I have been fortunate to find uh, a CPA and an attorney who both had experience in real estate and uh, they don't always agree on the type of business entity that you should have, however. And that's the challenge. Uh, Your CPA is going to tell you what kind of business entity to have for the best tax advantage and the attorney is going to tell you the best type to have for legal protection. Hopefully, they are going to agree. They don't always. But you need to find an accountant with real estate investment experience and an attorney with real estate investment experience. Not necessarily doing those themselves, but in dealing with people who are real estate investors and dealing with properties. Now, a lot of people will buy properties under the name of an LLC under that entity. Uh, I actually had one client who bought, had an an LLC, a separate LLC for every property he owned, and he owned a lot of properties. I could see where that could get to be a bookkeeping nightmare, but um, that's how he did it. My CPA designed a company entity for me. It's a, a limited partnership, and I have bought properties under the names of LLCs, but my LLCs were all owned by that limited partnership. So they all came under, eventually came under one company. That's uh, done for taxes. And uh, to be honest with you, it's complicated. And I'm not sure I even understand everything about how it works. So I'm not even going to try to explain that here. But, but, uh, uh, you do need to get a CPA and you do need to have an attorney and, uh, you know, it may or may not cost you something up front to do that, but, uh, it's well worth it when you get around to owning the property and keeping yourself out of trouble. The two kinds of trouble you do not want in real estate are trouble would be trouble with the IRS and trouble with lawsuits. So the second question This one I get all the time uh, because there are so many people out there selling courses, training on buying real estate with no money down, no credit, no job. Um, So the question is, can I really buy real estate with no money? Everybody wants to be able to do that. Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. The more important question should be, should I buy real estate with no money? That's much more important than can I buy it with no money? So yes, it is possible to buy real estate with no money, but you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. 
Now, there are several ways that you can buy real estate with no money. However, even in those deals, when it comes down to finishing the deal, closing on the property, you're going to have to have some money. You're going to have to pay for something in commercial real estate. This is not like buying somebody's house. When you buy a commercial property, you're going to have to pay for things like uh, appraisals. Commercial appraisals are not cheap. And your lender is going to order that appraisal and bill it back to you. You're going to have to be able to pay for it somehow. And usually they're about between three and $4,000 for a commercial appraisal. And certain types of commercial properties, you're going to have to get an environmental study done, especially if you're into industrial properties, uh, buying land. If you're buying uh, land that uh, is raw land, especially if you're in areas of oil production, oil and gas, uh, you never know what's happened on that property in the past. Uh, so environmental studies are very important because you could get stuck with somebody else's environmental problems if you don't do that. If, if uh, a company has been, say you're buying an industrial property, and uh, this is something I actually experienced. If you're buying an industrial property that you had leased out or that the seller had leased out in the past to, a, say, a chemical company. Now they have these big chemical totes. That's what they call them. They're totes. They're like a cube made of plastic with a metal frame around it. And they stack these things. They're stackable. So they can stack them out in the yard, sometimes three or four high. And sometimes they leak. Depending on what kind of chemicals were in it, it may be a problem. Not all the chemicals are going to be a problem, but some of them might be. In this particular property this guy was selling... That was the exact situation that we were in. The, the tenant was a chemical company. They had moved out and they had spilled chemicals. And the environmental study, uh, since they knew there was a chemical company in there, they came out and actually did some testing. They don't always do that on a phase one environmental study. But they saw... Uh, wet spots, wet looking spots on the dirt that were not going away. And they did some testing and sure enough, it had to be cleaned up and they had to clean up a certain amount of dirt around that spot and haul it off to a chemical disposal site. And it cost about $30,000. So if you're not willing to spend three or 4000 for the environmental study, you might get stuck with the $30,000 tab after you buy the property. Uh, if you can't prove where that came from and chances are you can't prove it. So your new tenant might move in there and say, Hey, you got chemical spills. We can't honor this lease until you get that cleaned up. So then what are you going to do? And you can, and if they report you to anyone, then you're really going to be in trouble. So have it done beforehand. Uh, if you can get the seller to pay for it, that's even better, uh, for the environmental study. So in those cases, you need some money. Uh, even if you're buying an apartment, say you're buying an apartment complex, depending on what's in the neighborhood, depending on what was there before those apartments were there, you still might need to do an environmental study because something may have been there and been, been torn down and hauled away 
and uh, apartments been built on top of it or office buildings been had, had been built on top of that. You never know what was under there if you don't do the research. It, can, it really save you a lot of headaches and a lot of legal troubles. So, yeah, you can buy the property without the money, but you're going to have to spend some money somewhere in the deal. So it's not like uh, residential or rental properties where you just, you're just buying a house and you don't have to worry about environmental studies. Uh, and you don't have to worry about a three or four thousand dollar appraisal, or you know the appraisal is a lot cheaper and a lot less involved. Now, should you buy with no money down? I say when the deals come along, if it makes sense, if you're not over leveraged, if you're not over uh, uh, extended on loans on the property, then yeah, go ahead and do it. And if you if you have a plan to buy the property with no money down, but figure out a way at some point to pay some of that out later, maybe pay your loan down quicker. Maybe if you bought with seller financing for part of it or all of it, you know, you may want to refinance. If sometimes you can get the seller to finance the down payment, and um, I've done that before, and it was a good deal, but it, but I paid it off in six months. I paid off the seller financing part of it in six months. The thing is, if if you have too much loan to service, your cash flow goes down and sometimes can go negative, and that's what you want to avoid. So that's what I mean when I say it has to make sense. The whole purchase with no money down has to make sense. You don't want to get in a negative cash flow situation. So there are several ways to do that. That's probably a topic for another episode. I could spend an entire 20 or 30 minutes talking about how you can buy properties with no money. And uh, But right now, um, and I will do that in an upcoming episode. I may have already done that, actually. Uh, you want to uh, think about should you. If you have money, uh, go ahead and, and buy with a down payment. So how do I get started in expensive markets? Uh, if you have a difficult market, like say if you're in California, if you're in, uh, the state of California and, uh, say New York and places like that, the, uh, real estate values are really pretty they're inflated. They're really high. The returns on your investment aren't nearly what they would be in other parts of the country. And you're so overregulated there in tax that you don't want to, you don't want to do that there. But you live there. So what do you do about that? Well, you can invest anywhere you want. You can invest anywhere in the United States. You can invest in other countries. You're not tied down to where you live. Now, it may be a little more difficult. You're going to have to be willing to travel. Uh, But I have clients, I have investor clients that I work with based in California. They will not invest in California. They will not touch property in California. They come to Texas to invest and they travel here maybe three or four times a year to look at properties to buy and to look at the properties they already own. So it can be done and they do quite well with coming to Texas to invest. And I've had clients come from New York to invest in Texas. Uh, Sometimes I don't even see the property. I had a client from Oklahoma who bought an $850,000 industrial property and never even saw it until after he closed on it. I never even saw it uh, before I sold it to him. 
did all the dealings over the phone, and uh, I saw it for the first time when he did. We went to we met there to to walk the property and, and inspect it after he had closed on it. Now, you don't have to do business where you live. Uh, it's perfectly fine to go somewhere else. Now it may be that you're not able to do that. Uh, then you're going to have to make other arrangements. But uh, uh, but yeah, you, you do not. That's how you get started in expensive markets. You leave. <laughs> okay, you go somewhere else. Also, I mean, there are always opportunities in every market, even in expensive markets. There's going to be somebody that really doesn't want the property they own. There's going to be somebody who, oddly enough, lives out of state. Sometimes out-of-state owners come to a point where they want to sell their property. And they want to sell at, uh, sometimes they'll want to sell quickly, especially if they're older if they have retired and they don't want to mess with it anymore, then they're tired of traveling. They don't want to go back to the state where they bought the property. That's an opportunity for you. Uh, sometimes people get in financial trouble. Uh, sadly, sometimes someone will die and their children will inherit the property and they don't want it. They don't know what to do with it. So they want to get rid of it. Uh, so those are those are deals that you can find even in expensive, high-dollar, over-regulated markets. You can still find a good deal. And it is okay to invest in markets other than where you live. Sometimes it's preferable. Now, here's a deal. I used to know, I met a guy one time who bought vacation properties. Now, today, that I mean, this was, in the, this was years ago. Today, it would be Airbnb properties and Verbo and you know things like that short-term rentals and he bought these in resort areas all over the country ski resorts uh, beach properties golf club resorts uh, he bought in Florida Colorado Utah uh, everywhere you can think of where they'd have resorts and he bought like condo properties places that people would rent by the not by the day or by the week for vacations he did really well with them, and he traveled to those properties. And since it's his business, those are his properties for his business, he would travel there on vacation, but he would deduct part of his trip from his taxes because it was a business expense. Now, you can't deduct all of it, but you know, unless you just go there and look at the property and come back home and don't do anything else. But you know, where's the fun in that? You want to go there. And uh, inspect your property, enjoy the property for a little while, for a few days, and enjoy the, the amenities of the, the resort that you're in or wherever you happen to be, whatever city you're in. Have a little vacation with your family and deduct part of it. And that's how he ran his real estate business. So that's one way you can invest in other markets other than where you live. Okay, last question, and this is a big one. This is something that people run into all the time. I'm self-employed, so my tax returns look like I don't make much money. How do I get financing? This is where you're at an advantage for buying commercial properties over residential. When you buy a commercial property and you go visit with your lender and you take them all the documents that you have for property, uh, for your income statements, your tax returns, they're going to look more at how much that property generates in income 
and they will look at how much you make. I've gone in with tax returns that showed almost zero income. And this is where it's helpful to have a relationship with your lender. He knew that I didn't have a zero income. He knew what kind of money I made. He can look at my tax returns, look at my financial statements, and see the cash flow there. But he sees all the deductions that I have. They're business deductions, expenses. He understands the cash flow is there. And the property itself is what they're looking at. They're going to look at how much income that property generates. And if it's generating, what they're going to look at is that the debt service ratio. When they look at that, they're going to look at it more on the property. And so if the property's making enough to pay the loan payment, to service that debt, plus whatever amount they set at their their uh, institution for um for their standards, their minimum standards. So you may have, you may show a $20,000 a year income and still go in and buy a million dollar property. As long as that property is generating enough money to pay that mortgage payment that's going to come every month for whatever amount that is. So if you have a property that has an $8,000 a month mortgage payment and your rent on that property is $12,000 or $13,000 a month, they're going to like that. They're going to say, yeah, it's okay that your tax return says $20,000 because we know what you're up to. We know that you don't want to pay any taxes. And plus being a real estate professional, you get a lot more tax benefits and, and uh, you get to deduct more for your real estate properties than other people that, that don't do that. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, being self-employed is, is not that big a deal on your, you just have to have your tax returns. And that's the, the toughest thing. Self-employed people are re- really terrible at getting their tax returns done on time. And that's when it really comes back to haunt you is when you go into, to get a loan and it's, you should have had your tax return done for the year, but you got an extension because you, for whatever reason, you didn't get it done. That might hurt you. But as long as you can still show the income statements, show what you made for the year and your previous two or three tax returns, they're still going to look at it favorably and they're, they're, uh, they're not going to kick you out. But the important thing here is you build relationships with the lender. When you're, when you're self-employed, you do your banking at the bank where you're trying to get the loan and you've built a relationship with that lender and you have accounts there and he sees money. He can pull up your account and look at the money that flows in and flows out he knows you're making money. He knows you've got cash flow coming in. And uh, it's not going to be as tough as you might think it would be. So that's it for this episode. And these questions, now I've got a whole list of a lot more questions here that I'm going to get to. And maybe I'll start doing that on every episode. That would be kind of kind of cool just to go through a couple of questions on every episode uh, every time I do one of these so again, go to uh, paulairy.com slash six ways. I believe you can just go to paulairy.com. It'll take you to the same page. That's P-A-U-L-A-R-Y. That's me.com. Uh, and uh, download that, that free PDF 
six ways you can make money on every real estate investment. Uh, it's good information. You need to know about that. And if you like this, this episode, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your family and friends and, uh, you know, tell everybody about it. And I will see you in the next episode of Real Estate Revenue.